Hello and welcome to Macro Horizons High Quality Spreads for the week of January 19th. Time's up. I'm your host, Dan Creeder, here with Dan Belton as we discuss our changing view on credit spreads amidst a rapidly shifting market landscape. Each week, we offer our view on credit spreads, ranging from the highest quality sectors such as agencies and SSAs to investment-grade corporates. We also focus on U.S. dollar swap spreads and all the factors that entails, including funding markets, cross-currency markets, and the transition from LIBOR to SOFR. The topics that come up most frequently in conversations with clients and listeners form the basis for each episode, so please don't hesitate to reach out to us with questions or topics you would like to hear discussed. We can be found on Bloomberg or emailed directly at dan.creeter, K-R-I-E-T-E-R, at bmo.com. We value and greatly appreciate your input. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Well, then, believe it or not, it's been only a week since our last podcast episode, and we actually had a day off in there. It doesn't really feel like it's been only a week. It almost feels like in times like these, we have to be recording on a daily basis to stay on top of markets. But it has been only a week, and in the span of that week, treasuries are now, what, another 13 basis points higher on the tenure to 187 at yesterday's close. Clearly, we are in the midst of a fundamental repricing of markets reflecting inflation and a more hawkish Federal Reserve. But I guess we can start with our credit-focused podcast here. How have credit spreads evolved? in the past week. So spreads have trickled a little bit wider over the past several sessions, but all things considered, they've actually hung in pretty well. So as of yesterday, credit spreads are unchanged this year in the ICE BAML index, and they're about three basis points wider in Bloomberg Barclays. Now, if you look more broadly, like you mentioned, treasury yields are significantly higher. The S&P 500 is down about 4% this year. And typically, if we look at that simple relationship between equity returns and credit spread performance, that decline in equities typically correlates to about a five and a half basis point widening in credit spreads. So the fact that we're only about you know zero to three basis points wider in the broad spread indices implies that spreads have been pretty firm despite this volatility in the broader market. And we've talked a lot about the seasonal support that we get typically in January. I think that's probably played a strong role in this relative outperformance, I guess you could call it, in credit over the past several weeks. And even though we haven't seen that strength in primary market executions that we were expecting, the resilience in secondary is is worth talking about. But then when you take a step back and look at the broad landscape facing credit right now, I think it's pretty hard to be bullish. Yeah, I mean, I think you said it. We came into the year pretty constructive on credit just based on the seasonal support you talked about. And I think there's a pretty strong argument that that's why spreads have hung in as well as they have. I mean, increasingly, the tone of client conversations is something to the effect of how have spreads hung in this well. And I think that gets to your point on the sort of deteriorating outlook for credit. And I think it's really interesting because if you go back to the 2022 outlook we put out in early December, we were expecting a pretty significant repricing of credit spreads around the second quarter of the year. We were expecting spreads to peak around 125 or 130 basis points. So that's what a 35 to 40 basis point move from current levels. We were expecting that significant in a move, but we didn't think it would happen until Q2. What's interesting though, is if you look at the drivers of that move in our outlook. They're very similar to what's being discussed in the market now. Specifically, we were talking about the move wider in credit spreads being attributable to two main factors. The first one was increased hawkishness by the central bank responding more drastically to the threat of inflation. And here, obviously, things such as 
more than 25 basis point rate hikes or quantitative tightening. Those are the factors that we were referring to. We thought that would be a topic for the middle part of the year, not January. I mean, in just two months, we've gone from wondering whether the Fed would accelerate tapering of quantitative easing to now suddenly talking about quantitative tightening. And obviously now hikes in March and what have you. So everything has just happened much faster. And then the second factor we talked about is potentially driving wider credit spreads around a Q2 was the deteriorating outlook for corporate profitability. And of course, the main drivers here would be increasing input costs, including employee costs, that corporations would struggle to pass along to a potentially weakening consumer. Now, that potentially weakening consumer, that's something that will play out over the longer term. But I guess the important point here is we're already starting to see some concern on corporate profitability in earnings season that has just now gotten underway. Yeah, Dan, so we've really only gotten earnings from the big six U.S. banks, but those show some pressure on profit margins with respect to compensation costs. So those big six banks saw a total increase in revenues of about 4% year over year in the fourth quarter of 2021. They saw expenses grow by 7.4% over the same period. So we're seeing some early evidence of a compression in these profit margins as corporations have to bid up for talent. Now, again, we haven't seen this from true corporate non-financial companies, but it seems likely that this pattern is going to persist as as earnings are reported in the next few weeks. And that compression of profit margins is going to be an extremely important focal point for the market. Certainly, the employment picture and the consumption picture are going to be extremely important storylines. I'd argue maybe the most important storylines of 2022 as we get to the middle part of the year. Is wage inflation going to continue at this extremely high pace, or are we going to see the part rate come up as people come back to the workforce following the pandemic and we start to see some of that wage pressure abate? Is consumption going to turn over after an extreme increase in stimulus last year, or is it a new durable feature of the post-pandemic economy that's going to be sustained? These are going to be huge questions, but they're not for today's episode. Rather, for today's episode, we have to think about just the near-term outlook for corporate profitability. And as you said, Dan, that is beginning to dim. And so when we look at just how quickly these factors are arriving, these factors we thought would get there in Q2 and drive a significant widening of credit spreads, well, now they're getting here now. So if these factors are accelerating, do we have to now accelerate our view for when credit spread was widening? And that actually leads to the title of today's episode. Last week, we talked about timing is everything, basically saying this exact same thing. We said there are factors are going to widen spreads and probably significantly. We're going to have to be able to time it. At the time, last week, we thought that that was still months away. Just one week later, the question in today's episode is time up. Yeah, Dan, I think you put it well. And when we step back and look at the market, I don't see much room for narrowing in credit spreads. Can they hang in around these levels in the near term? Sure, I think that's possible. I think we could see some of this volatility subside in the near term and spreads could become better bid in the primary markets. I think that would extend into secondaries and we could see spreads hang in where they are right now. In terms of narrowing potential in credit, I think like you said, most of the risks certainly point to wider credit spreads, certainly in the medium term, and those risks are starting to extend into the near term. Yeah, I mean, even if the sharper sudden repricing to the 120 basis point range is still months away, I'm with you that it's difficult to envision spreads moving meaningfully narrower from here, even narrower at all. I mean, we're, we're what, 95 basis points or so on the index. We're not going to push less than 90 for sure, it seems like. And like you said, maybe in the near term it holds in. Maybe the Fed's a bit more dovish next week. We still have that seasonal support. But 
is beginning to feel a bit like the proverbial picking up of pennies to me. And so if I'm positioning portfolios now, maybe we're not going outright underweight credit, but I think it definitely is time to start looking at more defensive positions. And with that in mind, Dan, I wanted to bring up a topic we wrote about in greater detail in our written work on Friday, which was looking at SSAs as a defensive play and even investment-grade corporate portfolios. Now, obviously, here at BMO, we, we are involved in both the SSA and the corporate market, and we don't often see many investors that are active in both. It seems to be that there are SSA buyers and there are corporate buyers with not a ton of overlap. And with the podcast today, I thought it would be interesting to talk a bit more about a study we did looking at using SSAs in conjunction with corporate portfolios from a sharp ratio perspective to see whether SSAs actually arguably have a place in corporate portfolios, particularly at times when you're looking for more defensiveness. And we looked at this really in two ways. The first was with a sharp ratio analysis. We'll talk about it a bit. But the second was just trying to get at the defensive nature of SSAs in general. And what we really wanted to find out was, should we consider SSAs flight to quality assets? So if we're on the precipice of a potentially significant widening in credit spreads, are SSAs a strong play or are they just going to widen as well alongside corporate spreads? And maybe their widening won't be as significant, but arguably the ensuing recovery won't be as significant either. So in a nutshell, do SSAs actually provide the defensiveness I'm looking for at times of stress or is staying in corporates effectively the same thing? So what we found was that SSAs don't quite qualify as flight to quality assets. So during periods of significant financial market stress, SSAs tend to widen much like corporate bonds do. However, their correlation with financial market stress has fallen significantly since the financial crisis. So while we stop short of calling SSAs a flight to quality asset right now, we see evidence of that increasing somewhat. And we think that over time, they will increasingly exhibit flight to quality characteristics. On the other hand, we do see evidence of SSAs exhibiting safe haven status, which we which we characterize slightly differently than flight to quality assets. And we see evidence of this safe haven status in two ways. First, we find that SSAs and corporates aren't that well correlated during times of low financial stress, which increases the potential for diversification of SSAs in a corporate portfolio. And then secondly, we show that peaks in correlation during periods of financial stress have declined since the financial crisis. And it's that point that you talked about low correlation during times of low financial stress that I want to focus on, because what that really tells you is that, you know, when we're seeing what we consider more orderly moves wider in corporate spreads, you don't see SSAs necessarily participating in that. So yes, when you have an event like COVID or the financial crisis, or even, you know, European debt crisis, like what we'd consider sort of acute market stresses, you see SSAs and corporates re-correlate. Now, it's debatable whether or not the current environment will ultimately qualify as an acute market stress, where you see financial stress increase significantly, in, in which case we may expect a considerable degree of re-correlation. But I'd argue that we may not see a sudden and sharp spike in financial stress here. Financial conditions are still relatively easy. There's still reserves everywhere. The RRP is still pretty with massive volumes. There's not acute market stress. This is just a fundamental repricing of where financial asset prices should be. It's not necessarily stress. And so if we make the argument that corporate spreads are going to almost fundamentally move wider here, they may do so without an acute spike in stress. And so we can see corporate spreads widening, but as long as financial stress stay low, we can see SSA corporate correlation staying very low, which is maybe a long-winded way of saying SSA spreads stay very tight, despite what can be a significant 
but orderly move wider in corporate spreads. So I think that is really one way of showing the utility of SSAs in corporate portfolios. And the other, to go back to the sharp ratio analysis we did earlier, we looked at a few different portfolio optimization strategies holding you know the credit quality roughly equivalent to average index credit quality. So what I mean by that is if the ice bamel average credit rating on the index is single A3, that can be accomplished a few different ways. We can hold 100% of the portfolio in single A3 and and then we have the same credit quality or we can hold 50% in triple B and another 50% in double A or you know even more triple B and then some more holdings in triple A which would then be SSA. And we looked at this portfolio optimization from a sharp ratio standpoint, excess return divided by standard deviation to see if SSAs played a valuable role in corporate portfolios. And what it boiled down to was really if you look at SSAs versus higher rated corporates, AA rated corporates or A plus rated corporates. If you look at an equally weighted portfolio of SSAs and triple Bs or highly rated corporates and triple Bs and compare those sharp ratios over the last 10 years, what we find is that the SSA portfolio actually outperformed the AA, A plus rated corporate portfolio more often than not over the last 10 years. And perhaps most importantly, three of the past four years. As we've seen increasing evidence of safe haven status for SSAs, we're seeing the sharp ratio of that SSA portfolio increasing above higher rated corporates. Now, all I'm really trying to say here is that SSAs can serve a valuable role for portfolios, even that are focused solely on corporate debt, and particularly at times like this where we're looking for defensiveness. So bottom line here, if you are an investor that looks at both the SSA market and the corporate market, defensiveness now certainly makes sense, moving a bit more towards the SSA sector. But if you are an investor that hasn't historically looked at SSAs, it might be a good time to look into this sector as a way to pick up some defensiveness, or at the very least, moving up in credit within corporates to A's or AA's. Certainly makes sense just given the factors we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. And one last factor I want to mention that might also increase the rationale to operate SSAs is just the performance in the primary market so far in the two individual sectors. I mean, obviously it's January, it's the heaviest issue, it's months of the year for both corporates and SSAs. And so the primary market is top of mind for all investors here. And we've seen a divergence there that could continue. So, Dan, why don't we start with you just giving us a, a you know a brief overview on the IG primary market so far this year and what you're seeing? Yeah, so primary markets in IG have been not as supportive as we were perhaps expecting. And a lot of that is due, like we talked about last week, to this continued heavy financial supply. So year-to-date, excluding supply today, which is going to be heavy in financial deals, financials have comprised 66% of high-grade issuance. And it's largely for that reason that issuance has not come as well-received as we were anticipating. So average new issue concessions this year have been 4.3 basis points. That's up significantly from last year's average, about 1.3 basis points. And if you break it down between financials and non-financials, it's pretty clear that's the reason why. We have financial new issue concessions averaging 5.2 basis points versus 2.2 for non-financials. So again, a lot of the same dynamics as we talked about last week. This week, it's accelerating due to the big six U.S. banks exiting blackout periods. We had J.P. Morgan and Citi issue yesterday. And then today, we have Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs in the market. Goldman Sachs out with a six-part deal. It's unclear how big that's going to be, but it's likely going to continue this trend of heavy financial supply in the market while the market is really clamoring for more non-financial corporate issuance. Yeah, I definitely think that the overweight of financial supply and the share of total 
corporate issuance this year has made it very difficult to really tease out how much these order books are struggling as a result of just the level or how much they're maybe struggling a bit because of how much financial supply there's been. It's probably a little bit of both. We'll find out in the weeks ahead as more corporate issuers come to market and financial supply hopefully starts to slow down a bit. But you know, if it's an open question in the IG space, it's definitely not one in SSAs. SSA primary deal reception has been extremely strong all year. And part of that is maybe because supply hasn't been as robust as we would have thought coming into the year, but it hasn't been extremely slow either. It's disappointed slightly, but it hasn't been like there's been no supply. And we haven't seen almost any concession in most deals. You know, I think the EIB deal that let off maybe had a basis point in it. And then since then, it's been pretty much negative or no concession on almost all deals. So, you know, this is just another piece of evidence here for the potentially divergent path of SSAs and corporates and it being sustainable, that even as we're seeing potentially weaker primary market demand metrics in corporates, SSAs is extremely strong, and that can continue even if spreads in the corporate market do start to move wider at an accelerating pace. And then, Dan, before wrapping up today, I want to at least talk about the update you've recently done on our model for credit spreads. We meant to talk about this earlier in the episode, so hopefully people have stayed with us till the end. But it's just another reason to think that maybe spreads will go wider. It's more of a quantitative capture of the qualitative things we were talking about earlier in the podcast that maybe the fundamental drivers of credit are indicating a widening. Yeah, Dan. So this is something we're planning to write about on Friday. So please take a look if that's of interest of you. But when we update our model for high quality credit spreads, we see a fair value of about 124 basis points in the broad index compared to 98 basis points where the index set yesterday. And so over the past month, this implies a widening of the fair value of credit spreads by about 10 to 15 basis points. And it's really based fairly evenly across three or four factors. So first, we see a tightening in financial conditions. If you look at the Global Financial Stress Index, GFSI, which is our preferred measure of financial market stress, that index has moved to a value of 0.2. And for some background on that index, zero represents neutral and negative represents accommodative conditions. Positive values indicate financial market stress. And save for just a couple stretches in November and December, we're currently at the highest value that we've seen in that index since November or December of 2020. So it makes sense given some wobbles and equities and rising treasury yields that we should be capturing slight tightening of financial conditions, which are only likely to continue to tighten over the course of the year as the Fed removes accommodation. So that's been a big factor in pressuring model-implied credit spreads wider. Secondly, treasury yields themselves are another factor indicating wider valuations in credit spreads. We attribute that to about three or four basis points of widening in fair values over the past month or so. And then high-grade issuance and moderation and fundamentals, which are represented by changes in rating actions from the, the big three rating agencies, have also pressured model-implied valuations wider. So this is just another medium-term factor, trying to quantify how much widening we're expecting. This model implies about 25 basis points of widening from here. It's unclear when we're going to get that, but I do think you know the fair value of spreads fundamentally should be wider from here. Anything else, Dan? Yeah, no, I think that that definitely uh, sums it up. Always nice when the model aligns well with our views. So that works. And certainly we'll find out a lot more over the course of the next week. We'll be back here again next week following the Fed's January meeting. We'll be here with our instant reactions. So it will certainly be a very interesting meeting. So we'll see you back here next week. And thanks for listening. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to Macro Horizons. Please visit us at bmocm.com slash macrohorizons. As we aspire to keep our strategy efforts as interactive as possible, we'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. Please email us at daniel.belton, B-E-L-T-O-N, at bmo.com. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. This show is supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show has been edited and produced by Puddle Creative. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal. 